Back up top, shot through traffic, save made, follow-up try, that one hits a body in front, and a score! It's a score! It's a score! And the Ice Bears have a 4-3 lead with 30 seconds remaining in the hockey game! Oh, what a hit! Welcome to the SPHL in Knoxville! Comes in on the right side, through the right circle, taking it and fed across, they score! Oh, yes! And the Ice Bears win 3-2 in overtime! Welcome into the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. My name is Joel Silverberg. Appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast as you do so, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Appreciate you taking the time to check out the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Uh, we've got some headlines from this week and didn't get to an episode earlier in the week, so wanted to sneak one in here before the weekend got here. And uh, initially, I didn't want to record one on Thursday, but with Knoxville's game on Friday against Macon being postponed, this kind of gave us some breathing room before we had our next game upcoming. So that is the first headline. Knoxville's game against the Macon Mayhem is not being played on Friday night. That was scheduled to be on the road at Macon at 7.30, and instead, that is not going to be happening anymore. That game has been rescheduled for Sunday, January 22nd at 4 o'clock, and the reason why is because they are anticipating some harsh road conditions in central Georgia on Friday night. So Macon will still play Birmingham Thursday night at 7.30, uh, but they wanted to go ahead and move that Friday night game, so that will be Sunday, January 22nd at 4 o'clock, which actually kind of works out for the Ice Bears players. It, it gives them an opportunity to have some more time for the Christmas holiday. For a couple of players that can swing the trip home and get back in time, it gives them some time to do that. And for the players that have family coming in, it gives them more time with their families without having to be broken up with a road game to Georgia and then having to travel back. So it uh, kind of works out in that way. So you find the silver linings in a situation like that. Obviously, I'm sure the boys are... Uh, we'll be excited to get back to playing hockey on Monday against Huntsville. So that is Knoxville's next game, Monday night at the Knoxville Civic Coliseum against the Huntsville Havoc. Huntsville is actually the only team Knoxville has not faced yet this season, and they'll actually face each other twice next week, Monday at Knoxville and Wednesday in Huntsville as the teams face each other twice in a three-day span. So Wednesday night, Knoxville lost to Roanoke 6-5. to This was a game that was kind of all over the place. Um, I, I think if you listen to the broadcast, I obviously did not sound very happy with how the flow of the game went. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to address all of it. Uh, Knoxville has... So, so here's the thing. We'll, we'll talk about the officiating since that was obviously something that I think was at the forefront of everybody's mind. I've already received a question about it on social media. Um, I, I had a fan ask me, do you think that the game was called solely in Roanoke's favor? And I'll, I'll go ahead and say no. And, and here's the thing. Yes, there were some highly egregious calls by Keith Grooms on that game on Wednesday night, but there were egregious calls both ways. It, both teams, I think, were affected by that game. It doesn't feel like anybody wins. Uh, talking to voice of the Rail Yard Dogs, Mitch Stewart after the game it's just not a fun game to call. Uh, it's it's not. I don't think it's fun for anybody. I think I don't think it's fun for the players to play in. I don't. I can't imagine it's fun for the fans to watch uh, when you're seeing stuff like that. Where you're not, you know, if it feels sometimes like hockey didn't necessarily determine the outcome of the hockey game. But the the other reason that I feel like that 
you know, Roanoke wasn't receiving favoritism from the officiating is because Knoxville was given a goal that just shouldn't have counted. Uh, Tanner Salisbury's goal at 3.59 of the third period that gave Knoxville a 5-4 to four lead, uh, it hit the crossbar and never crossed the goal line. Uh, and talking to Tanner after the game, he said that he immediately knew it didn't go in. Uh, talking to the coaches, they didn't think it went in. There were several players who didn't think it went in. I, talking to staffers who were down at ice level, they didn't think it went in. Uh, and then a message relayed to me from Bill Murr, the goal judge on that side. He Apparently, he had, uh, from what I'm told from other staff members, was that Bill Murr, our goal judge, told Keith Grooms the puck did not go in. It hit the crossbar and stayed out. Um, I don't know why Keith Grooms upheld his call. He was also not in position to see the puck. Uh, he was up by the left circle, so I'm not sure what he saw. I'm guessing that he thought it hit the back bar instead of the crossbar, but for whatever reason, he ultimately elected to stick to his call, uh, and then Roanoke ends up getting a, a penalty a few moments later when uh, Cameron Huff is called for two minutes for hooking, and so Dylan Raiden is able to score on a loose puck and put the puck in the net, and, and that alone, you know, that penalty doesn't necessarily guarantee that Roanoke's going to tie the game. I mean, Knoxville entered the game last night with the best penalty kill percentage in the SPHL. Roanoke was ninth in power play percentage. So, you know, there, there are other things that you can address there, but Raiden ties the game. And then 10 minutes later, CJ Valerian scores on a puck that you know, on the broadcast, I, I thought that Alec Calvaruso had trapped the puck under his goal, uh, under his glove. Valerian came in and poked it free is what it looked like. It also looked like that Calvaruso had, had been made contact with in his crease. And, you know, from other viewpoints, it, you know, I'd, I'd never heard anything definitive, but what I was told by other staff members um, and even somebody who was over by the bench area was that it, it looked like from one angle that he didn't have it under his glove. Uh, and, and I think it's one of those situations where it's a tough break, but also you can make the argument that maybe it, it shouldn't have been put in that situation. So, I think for Knoxville, there were some unfortunate breaks. Uh, you had Dominic's Marston Kavix bear hugging Tanner Salisbury down at the uh, down at the other end as as he was trying to pursue a puck, left his skates and kind of bear hugged Salisbury and rode him for a couple strides. And thought that was weird that that didn't get called. And then oddly enough, Marston Kavix got called for roughing a few moments later with Cole McKechnie with offsetting roughing minors. Knoxville is upset because they felt like that should have been a five-on-three situation for the Ice Bears. Uh, Knoxville wasn't able to convert on the on the power play, and uh, ultimately Roanoke was able to win the hockey game. That was just a, a very frustrating game to watch, I think, as it unfolded because Knoxville had the lead three times. Uh, Knoxville fell behind 3-1 to one when Steven Alvo scored on a five-on-three power play goal where uh, Elliott St. Pierre's called for delay of game when he lifted the puck over the bench and not the glass. And so, you know, that that's part of the frustrating thing there because the same thing happened the last time Knoxville played Roanoke back on December 1st where Brett Beauvais sent the puck out of the zone, or not out of the zone, but out of play over the bench, but did so in the neutral zone and was called for delay of game. And so St. Pierre gets called for delay of game when the puck goes over the bench again. It leads to a, a five-on-three because Ryan Devine was already in the box and Steven Alvo scores off of it. And so things like that are frustrating, but after that, Knoxville responds really well. They scored three goals in 94 seconds and took a 4-3 lead, but then gave up a goal to Billy Vizzo off a defensive zone turnover. 
So after Salisbury gave them the lead, or allegedly gave them a lead, at least Keith Grooms thought he gave them the lead, you know, Knoxville takes a penalty, gives up another power play goal, and then gives up the game-winning goal because the puck was still in the Knoxville zone. So ultimately, no, I, I don't think officiating was favored in one way. Now, I, I think there were some serious miscues, and, and the most egregious error of the night by Keith Grooms it was the the fifth goal for Knoxville. It shouldn't have counted. I said on the broadcast immediately it should have it shouldn't have counted. Tanner said it shouldn't have counted. Um, I, I have yet to hear somebody say that the puck went in the net. And I've t- I've talked to a bunch of people, both you know from Knoxville, from Roanoke fans, staff members. I've talked to Roanoke's broadcaster. Nobody thinks that puck went in the net. Um, and so I I just think that that's the most egregious error. But there were other errors throughout the game that. You, know, you could you could call it a wash. You could say that it ultimately evened out, but it it just feels like there were mistakes made in so many other areas. So yes, the the officiating was not great. Um, you know, for the fans that might be upset about you know what I said regarding you know Doug Price, if you're watching, not Keith Groom's finest hour. And and look, you know, was I out of line in saying that? Probably. But I meant what I said, and I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. We, we've seen a lot of games from Keith Grooms this year. He's he's had some tough nights, but I think last night there there's just so many apparent misses that it's one of those things where it, it's frustrating, I think, for everybody to kind of swallow that one. And it's tough when you come out on the losing end in a game like that. But we've also had games where Knoxville has won this season, and the officiating has been frustrating. I mean, Brett Straley did not have the best weekend when Knoxville went to Quad City, but Knoxville won both of those games. So it, it doesn't make it any better when it, it's a matter of, you know, officiating is the hot topic. And I feel like officiating has been a very hot topic in the SPHL for most of this season. And I don't know if that's coincidental or if that's something that is becoming a little bit more circumstantial with uh, the way that the league is progressing this year in that regard. But uh, ultimately, I don't think it was I, I thought the officiating was bad both ways. I thought grooms did things that were wrong that hurt both teams. Obviously, if Knoxville wins that game, then the biggest highlight is this goal that shouldn't have counted. Now, would also say at the back end, Dominic's Marcin Kavik's goal at 18-20 of the first period. At first, I did not think it was a high stick. I thought he deflected it out of the air. And then watching it on the replay, his stick is slanted at an upward angle. Now, it's it's tough to say, is it over the crossbar? Because Marcin Kavik's is 5-9. He's a shorter guy. Now, you put skates under him, he's a little bit taller. So... It now it becomes a little bit closer. So watching the replay, and again, from the, the aerial camera at the Coliseum, I do not have the best angle, and neither does the camera crew to be able to make that call. Now, talking to people on ice level, they, fe- they felt it was, including one of our staffers, down on ice level, they felt that it was a, it was a high stick. Talking to one of the goal judges, and again, a goal judge can't make the call on a, a high sticking play there, but... You know, one of our goal judges felt that the puck was probably pay- played with a high stick. So, okay, maybe you have a controversial call there that leads to a goal. You know, you have the Stephen Alvo power play goal where maybe may- uh, Roanoke shouldn't have been on the five on three. It and it's just an unfortunate situation. Now, I'd also say this: Knoxville still would have been shorthanded because of the penalty to Ryan Devine. Devine doesn't need to be taking a roughing minor with two seconds left to go in the period. So. You can look at it both ways. So, yes, officiating is part of the problem, but now let's take a moment to look at some things uh, internally, specifically at Knoxville. Knoxville gave up two power play goals, having the best penalty kill percentage in the SPHL. Roanoke did not have a good power play percentage going into that game on Wednesday night. 
Knoxville's got to kill off those penalties. And yes, it's frustrating. You got a five on three. It's a tough penalty that shouldn't exist. You have to take advantage of that. Knoxville only had two power plays. Okay, that doesn't feel very fair, but Knoxville had a really good power play percentage going into that game last night. And the power play, from what it was being set up, looked pretty good, but Knoxville didn't create a ton of scoring chances. Roanoke outshot Knoxville 26-15. to Knoxville had the lead on three separate occasions last night and, at, and couldn't hold on to the lead, couldn't even get out of the period hanging on to the lead. Knoxville led 1-0 in the first period, was trailing 2-1 to at the first intermission. Knoxville was leading 4-3 to in the second period. Score was tied at 4 going into the second intermission. Knoxville led... Five to four in the third period, lost the game six to five. You've got to be able to protect the lead, especially against a good team like Roanoke, when you've got two teams that are tied for second in the SPHL standings. A, a you got to be able to protect those leads. Um, I, I think three of Knoxville's goals were off failed clearout attempts. So the Marcin Kavik's goal that might have been ruled a high stick. Okay, maybe it was a high stick, but the clearing attempt was held in by Broman because it was a weak clearing attempt when Knoxville could have taken possession of the puck. And I think for Knoxville. Instead of maybe trying to collect possession of the puck or trying to find a way to get it back to Calvaruso so he could freeze it, Knoxville tried to poke check it to the near side point, and it wasn't going to make it across the blue line. So Broman tees off on it. Marcin Kavix redirects it, and it gets by Calvaruso. Clearing attempts got to be better there. The uh, goal to Billy Vizzo, it's a one-timer. He's all alone in the slot because Nick Ford steals the puck from Sasha Wall trying to break out on the left side. And that was after Knoxville held the puck behind its own net, waiting to get a line change so it could give itself a better chance of a clean breakout. And Tanner Salisbury, when I interviewed him before the game, it was the interview that you heard during the second intermission, I asked him, what makes Roanoke so tough? He said, they're forecheck. So Knoxville knew that Roanoke was going to come hard in the defensive zone for Knoxville, and it didn't matter. Knoxville knew what Roanoke was going to try to do, and Roanoke still generated scoring chances from being able to keep the puck in the zone. Bad clearing attempt that that holds up at the right point. C.J. Valerian puts a shot on goal. Calvaruso makes the save, but then nobody clears the puck. Nobody takes away Travis Broman, and he's able to backhand the puck back on net, and it slips under Calvaruso's pads. That's how the first goal was scored for Roanoke. So, yes, we can be mad at the officiating. We can be upset about what Keith Grooms did, and I was upset. I was frustrated with the officiating, and I, I stand by what I said on the broadcast. You know, I'm, I'm you know, Probably could have said it in a better way, but I stand by what I said. It, it was not the best game for Keith Grooms, and he made calls that hurt both teams in that game. And the fact that Roanoke ends up on the positive side of the scoreboard makes Knoxville fans feel more cheated. But you know, the reality is the worst call of the night was that goal for Tanner Salisbury because it didn't go in. So if that goal doesn't go in, okay, if everything plays out the same way, is it 6-4? to four? Do we feel upset with the officiating? Probably a little bit because there were some missed calls and maybe a goal or two that shouldn't have happened. But, you know, a, a lot of that, there's a little bit more of a gray area. And, and I also want to say, you know, just because that's the most egregious call doesn't mean that if Knoxville had won the game that Roanoke would feel, you know, more justified in being upset about the way that the game was officiated because there were calls that benefited both teams as a result of, you know, kind of giving the short end of the stick to the other team. So it's one of those games that ultimately at the officiating, you feel like it's a wash. It doesn't make you feel better about it. And you still feel like the officiating could have been better. Um, and I and I think I, and I feel fine saying that. So, uh, you know, not entirely happy with the way that I said it at the end of the game last night. But it, I also kind of have to stand by it at the same time because do I look at it being as factually inaccurate? Well, no. So 
I don't think it was the best night for Keith Grooms. And I think if Keith Grooms was being entirely honest with himself, and I, I, you know, I've never spoken to Keith Grooms personally. I don't know the guy. Couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But I, something would tell me that if he went back and watched the game, uh, watched the game tape with no sound, not listening to the, what the broadcasters are saying, I have a feeling that he would probably not feel too great about a couple of the calls or lack of calls that he made at certain points in the game. So Knoxville had other things that it could have done better, and it didn't. And and so you can't necessarily blame officiating when you blow a lead on three separate occasions and you, you have this big scoring spree in the second period and it, it doesn't hold up for you over the course of a game. So Knoxville had some chances. Knoxville had opportunities and ultimately couldn't put it away. And it's another close loss to Roanoke. And I think that's frustrating. And I know that fans are frustrated because... You know, you've lost three out of four to a team that knocked you out of the playoffs last year. And so there's a bit of the, a lingering feeling for that. And so it's it's unfortunate, but Knoxville's going to have more opportunities to make up for it moving forward. You got a big rivalry week against Huntsville with games on Monday and Wednesday of next week. And I, I think Knoxville would be really excited to be able to take a couple of wins against Huntsville if it's able to. So, you know, there's still some good things going. You got Rasmus Wax and Engback back in the lineup. So hopefully you start to see him uh, raise his comfort level as he gets back on the ice after he get, he gets off the IR. Um, you know, next weekend for New Year's Eve, you are going to have Kyler Matthews back in the lineup because he came back yesterday and served the first of a three-game suspension. Saw Kyler uh, after the game. So it was great to see Kyler. And, you know, he came back from his ECHL loan to from Cincinnati, and so he starts serving a three-game suspension that he was assessed during the Quad City weekend. So sat out last night. He'll sit out the two games against Huntsville, and then he'll be ready for Vermillion County on New Year's Eve. Uh, so Rasmus Waxen-Eng back, back in the lineup. Kyler Matthews waiting to get back in the lineup. Uh, Brady Florent has been loaned to Adirondack in the ECHL, so uh, he will be heading up north to Glens Falls and... You know, we'll see how long Brady is up there. Obviously, he's been very important for what Knoxville has done this season, and that's going to mean that more guys are going to have to step up, and somebody's going to have to step up on that first line. So you've seen Dino Balsamo getting a little bit more time on that first line. Would imagine that his role is going to have to increase, and it's already been pretty notable, but you know, more production, I think, would be uh, very much welcome from Balsamo as he had two goals on Wednesday night against Roanoke, and uh, he and Justin McDonald are going to try to do some work on that top forward line. So that is going to do it for this edition of the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast. Again, Friday's game against Macon has been postponed to January 22nd at 4 o'clock. Um, tough loss against Roanoke, but still a lot of hockey left to be played. The Ice Bears have played 20 games this season, so still 36 games left to go in the year. For Roanoke, it's their eighth straight win. Knoxville has a four-game win streak snapped with the loss, um, but still a team that's in a pretty good spot right now as you're starting to see just a little bit more separation. I think we had said a couple weeks ago that teams one through nine were separated by about six or seven points. Well, now it's 10 points. So you're starting to see that separation a little bit more. And I'm sure Knoxville would love to be able to bounce back next week after the Christmas break with a couple of wins against Huntsville. If the ice bears are able to do that. So appreciate you taking the time to listen to the Knoxville ice bears podcast. Again, I hope you'll continue to listen on the broadcast on 105.1 WKCE. We'll have the call for you Monday night at 6 o'clock. It's the baby races and diaper drive. So sign up your baby to race on the ice at first intermission by emailing taylor at knoxvilleicebears.com. And please bring new diapers uh, for donation to our diaper drive. Really helps out. And want to give a shout out. I don't know if you've seen the social media post, but 
Ice Bears Nation and, and the entire East Tennessee community, you guys were phenomenal with the teddy bear toss. You guys brought in over a thousand teddy bears. I know you all have a blast throwing those onto the ice. Um, it, it was a lot of fun to be able to toss the teddy bears uh, out there. And just for weeks, you know, the next several weeks, Taylor Stefishin, our community outreach coordinator who handles, you know, uh, director of hockey development, game day operations. He's done so much in the community, but organizing all of these get togethers, you know, East Tennessee Children's Hospital and different centers around the area and just, and you know, the Alcoa Fire Department. Just really cool to see so many teddy bears being donated and kids being so happy and you know, a, a neat picture that I got to see of Rex Mo holding a newborn. So I, it's just really cool for our players to be able to do that. But that all happens because we have teddy bears and things like that to donate. And so really a, a shout out to Ice Bears Nation because you guys stepped up in a big way and made a lot of kids really, really happy this holiday season. So you can feel good about that, seeing those results, knowing that you got to have fun throwing teddy bears onto the ice. But really cool to see so many people just really happy as a result of all the teddy bear donations that you guys brought in back for our teddy bear toss in late November. So Knox will be back in action on Monday night. We'll have the call for you on 105.1 WKCE, the official flagship station of the Knoxville Ice Bears. I'm Joel Silverberg. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Knoxville Ice Bears podcast.